0: Peak hurricane season is here and one storm is gaining strength. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN, I'm Wilkin Brutus. We get an update from a meteorologist on the storms currently swirling in the Atlantic. Also, this Saturday will mark five years since Hurricane Irma made landfall in Florida. We explore the lasting impacts of the storm and what goes into preparations. Finally, Miami-Dade County's latest attempt to address the affordable housing crisis. Leaders want more units near public transit options and to let some homeowners rent out efficiency apartments on their own properties. All of that today on the South Florida Roundup after the news. I'm Wilkin Brutus and welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN this weekend marks the peak of hurricane season in South Florida but where are all the storms the Atlantic has been brewing with activity but only recently not much has happened but that just might change for the rest of the season not only has there been a lack of hurricanes but there's also been a lack of the typical summer storms and showers we get during the time of the year have you noticed a lack of summer rain in South Florida? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Joining us to discuss the peak of hurricane season is Megan Borowski, uh, meteorologist for Florida Public Radio Emergency Network. Hi, Megan.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us. Uh, Megan, th- the peak of hurricane season arrives saturday and we have some activity in the atlantic first off what exactly does the peak of hurricane season mean
1: right so when we talk about the peak of hurricane season we're looking at uh, the the climatological records over the past uh, several years or decades actually of, of days when we have hurricanes or tropical cyclones in the atlantic basin so right now in the record september 10th is the day when we have most uh, tropical cyclones reported in the Atlantic Basin. But that day shifts around as we add more years to the record. But overall, uh, it's when we expect the most activity to be in the, the tropical Atlantic Basin.
0: Yeah, a lot of people assume that once summer begins, it's hurricane season. And so it's active. But this mm-hmm. is a time where it's actually uh, the most uh, most active. Uh, what, what are we seeing out there right now?
1: So right now we uh, we actually have Hurricane Earl. It's to the northeast of Bermuda. It's a category two hurricane winds up to about 100 miles an hour. uh, As of the last information from the National Hurricane Center, it's about 1200 miles away from Cape Canaveral here in Florida. So very far away from us. um, And it's going to continue moving to the north northeast it'll accelerate uh, and stay over the atlantic ocean then we've got a couple other areas that we're watching for development but they are far away from uh, the contiguous united states off the west coast of africa we could get some development over the next couple of days but no uh, no immediate threats uh anywhere near the u.s right now
0: hurricane earl sounds like an uncle who Takes food away from the barbecue. Um, <laughs> will, will, will Hurricane Earl affect Florida? If so, which parts?
1: Um, So no, no direct impacts to Florida from Earl. Again, it's about 1,200 miles away from us now, and it will continue to gain distance. Um, It has turned up the waters, and and we do have an elevated risk for rip currents. But actually, that uh, is really also being caused by a stalled front over North Florida. We've got low pressure over the uh, central Gulf Coast that I'm watching, too. And and those thunderstorms over North Florida uh, and the wind flow around that system over the uh, central Gulf Coast, that's going to help to kick up an elevated risk for uh, rip currents along the Atlantic coast this weekend. Hmm.
0: And, and Megan, what does a drier South Florida mean as we enter the peak of hmm. hurricane season?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And, um, you know, it's kind of a, a tale of two sides of the peninsula in South Florida, because the east side, um, the immediate coast from Bevard all the way down to Miami-Dade counties, that's under a moderate drought right now. We're about 12 to 16 inches below average uh, for rainfall over the past 90 days, but the western part of South Florida actually in a surplus of rainfall over the past 90 days. Um, But for the drought stricken area, um, you know, if we have a tropical cyclone impact South Florida on the east side, heavy rainfall actually might not be absorbed by the dry ground. It's kind of counterintuitive. You might think that uh, dry ground would absorb rainfall, but it could actually become hydrophobic um and we could have intense runoff and that could exacerbate uh rainfall flooding so that's something to keep in mind if we do have a storm uh threatening south florida but nothing right now to worry about
0: and and of course uh climate change certainly has an impact on what's going on um in in so many different ways is this activity Mm -hmm. normal at this time of year Uh, how, how does this forecast compare to last year's
1: Right. So we're, we're still the forecast is still for an above average season because we have all the ingredients in place to support tropical cyclone activity. But um, so far, we we have been lagging um, on average by September 9th. Um, we'll typically have about eight named storms have, a, you know, be uh, have occurred already in the Atlantic Basin. So far, we've had five. So we're three below average. Um, Also, the first hurricane usually occurs by mid-August. We've lagged on that one as well. But by September 7th, um, it's about normal to have three hurricanes in the basin. We've had So um, we are lagging a little bit um, compared to average. The forecast still is for above average activity because we do have warm sea surface temperatures off the coast of Africa um, and La Nina is still present and that's expected to to keep wind shear levels down. So ingredients are in place, we'll we'll see what happens as we keep getting these waves off the coast of Africa. Um, We are in the peak of season. Conditions are, are ripe to support any development um, that, that or any waves that do come off the coast of Africa. So it's something that we'll keep on watching. We're certainly uh, nowhere near done with the season.
0: Yeah. And, and Megan, I, I'm a South Florida native.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're not seeing the usual afternoon thunderstorms or you know general hurricanes in our areas. Why, why is that?
1: So uh, in terms of the thunderstorm activity, we've had uh, a, a big prevalence of Saharan dust over the past several months when the rainy season typically kicks up. So that dust has reduced atmospheric humidity levels. um, That's helped to keep thunderstorm activity at bay. And also, you know, our sea breeze storms are dictated a lot by the prevailing winds. If they're coming from the east, Um, then that'll push the sea breeze farther inland and we're more likely to get thunderstorms farther west. So it'll be interesting to go back and and look at the prevailing wind pattern over the past 90 days and see if it actually has been easterly. That could be a reason why the western part of South Florida is in a surplus. The eastern part is in a drought.
0: Hmm. And and when do you think we will see the temps uh, cool down in our area? (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, on average, uh, we our average daily high falls into the mid 80s in November. um, And we're looking at at least from the outlooks from uh, the Climate Prediction Center, we're looking at above average temperatures, uh, at least through the through the end of September. So I'd say if we're going to go with, um, you know, looking at the normal climatological period, uh, not until after Halloween. Hmm.
0: Are, Are there any other standout data that stands out from the forecast so far?
1: Um, not that I'm seeing too much, but I'll keep my eye on it. And of course, we'll um, be sending you guys audio and and updates on social media as well. If we see anything that's really standing out as to a change in the pattern.
0: Megan Borowski, meteorologist for the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network. Thank you so much for your time, Megan. No problem. I'm Wilkin Brutus. You're listening to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Now, we'll bring in WLRN's environmental reporter, Jenny Steladovich to look at a storm surge, to look at storm surge protection and flooding, uh, because even with a lack of rain, you can't be too prepared for the eventual flooding rain brings in South Florida. Jenny, thank you for uh, joining us.
2: Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. Uh, What is Miami-Dade doing to fortify itself against uh, storm surge?
2: Right, so just this week, Miami-Dade County announced that they were restarting a Army Corps flood surge plan. This is something that we've been talking about for the last three years. It's a $4.6 billion surge plan to sort of fortify the coast with flood walls and floodgates, um, hard infrastructure that would deal with those pounding waves that hurricanes push ashore that can flood coastal neighborhoods, even go up rivers and, and flood those areas. But <laughs> the county did not like all that hard infrastructure, um, and neither did a lot of local groups. Um, environmentalists worried about the damage to the, to the bay um, and to these sort of fragile ecosystems. There were some concerns that because the Corps has to do a cost-benefit analysis to justify the cost, that some of the most vulnerable neighborhoods would get left behind. Um, so under this deal, they're going to sort of restart that planning. The Corps has agreed to pay more than $8 million to redo this study and take in more of these ideas that the county has suggested um, for uh, fairness um, and equity in in the infrastructure, but also more of the natural solutions. You know, We have some of our best defenses are natural, like coral reefs, um, mangroves, seagrass banks. They can protect us from that surge. And if we restore and protect those, it's good for the environment too.
0: Some of our best defenses are natural. (laughs) I mean, I need to put that on a T-shirt, Jenny. (laughs) Um, The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has agreed to revise a controversial plan to build walls and floodgates uh, that would fortify parts of Miami against uh, storm surge. What was the controversial? or Yeah, what was it about the controversy about? Um, you know the Corps' original plan.
2: Yeah, so so it was that hard infrastructure that the Corps had suggested. Again, it was uh, you know more more uh, like you know we don't like. Uh, big bridges and roads, you know, on on our shoreline. We have a very picturesque shoreline around Biscayne Bay. It's where developers and homeowners, property owners pay zillions of dollars for those great views. And if you had a towering flood wall that's 20 feet high, that's going to get in the way of the view. Um, There's an economic consequence to that. Um, But, From my point of view as an environmental reporter, it really has to do with the environmental consequence and the damage that would occur in Biscayne Bay, which is already in trouble. Water quality in the bay is bad. We're working, there's all kinds of efforts countywide to focus on the bay and restore some of these really fragile ecosystems that support a fishery that brings in a lot of money. Um, You know, again, a healthy bay is something that everybody loves. Uh, Boaters. Anglers, you know, people who walk along the bay. I mean, there's just so many reasons why you don't want a, a gross bay, you know, with, with no sea life and, you know, unclear water, turbid water filled with macroalgae, things like that.
0: Right, right. And, and what are some of the proposed changes? Uh, which communities does this plan protect?
2: So it will be the communities around Biscayne Bay on the, on the shoreward side of the bay. So it's called the Back Bay Plan because it's the landward side of the bay. The Corps identified about seven neighborhoods, Aventura, Cutler Bay, you know, from the north end to the south end that, that are on the bay. Um, what happens in this new version of the plan is still up in the air. Um, they haven't started the planning yet. The county will have, um, you know, Obviously, a lot of input. The Corps also agreed to expand the planning outside the Richmond District. And I'm sorry, I'm going to get in the weeds, but (laughs) um, the Corps has many different silos of people who do work. Uh, The district that handles Everglades restoration, which is all you know, an environmental project, is in Jacksonville. They had not been part of the planning for the original plan. Um, They are now. Now. The, the, the Corps said, We're going to bring Jacksonville into this Richmond. Um, the segment of the Corps that does beach renourishment, when you asked about what the county was doing to protect itself from storm surge, beach renourishment, you know, when you see the big piles of sand coming in, and all that is a huge part of that. Um, it's controversial because you have to keep doing it over and over again. It's kind of Sisyphean, Sisyphean in the fact that it washes away, you know, you have to. Pull it back in there, mm-hmm. but they just signed a contract last year for forty million dollars to do a big stretch of Miami Beach.
0: Well, wow. and and you mentioned the bay earlier. Did did the bay uh, suffer any damage, flooding damage from Irma at all?
2: Yes. Yeah, so there was along Brickell. There was a lot of uh, storm surge washed up on Brickell. Uh, the storm surge pushed up the Miami River too. So you had the Miami River overtopping and flowing, you know, onto onto city streets farther farther from the shore. Line.
0: Right. And, and how does Miami Dade compare to other parts of South Florida um, in regards to flooding, like Broward, Palm Beach, and Monroe, uh, Monroe counties?
2: Well, because Miami Dade County has a bay as an estuary, so uh, it doesn't have a beach. I mean, it does have Miami Beach, but in places like Fort Lauderdale, you have you, you know you have a, a a beach and a dune system and and a shoreline, so it floods a little bit differently. Um, but they get high tide flooding just like we do. Um, intercoastal waterway, you know, when, when waters rise, then Hollywood floods really bad. So they have the same, same kind of uh, flooding, but I would say hurricane storm surge is a little different because of we have a bay and they have a beach.
0: Right. Again, we're in peak hurricane season, Jenny. (laughs) How does flooding from storm surge affect the way people should be preparing for hurricanes?
2: Well, I think as as storm surge gets worse because sea rise, sea level rise is making storm surge higher, um, they're going to have to factor in water events more than wind events. I mean, the Hurricane Center always says hide from the wind, run from the water. When Hurricane Irma was um, tracking towards Miami-Dade County, uh, that was why you had such massive evacuation orders, because it was pushing a huge storm surge. And emergency managers were saying, you know, this isn't something you can stay in your home and ride out with this kind of storm surge coming. You need to move to safer ground. It doesn't mean you have to drive to Georgia. It just means you have to get out of the path of the storm surge.
0: Hmm. And I'm sure residents want to know as well, is there any discussion of expanding official flood zones?
2: So far. FEMA has redone flood maps. That's that. That's a question out of left field for me. Oh. I wish I'm uh, not really prepared to say exactly sure. what how the zones have changed. They have changed, um, and and those maps have been. Have, or in the process of being rolled out, but I, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to beg off the answer because oh, I don't know exactly. I mean, Jenny, where... you
0: gave me a wealth of knowledge <laughs> okay. already. That's the least I can... Sorry. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much for giving all of that information for, for residents right now as they prepare for the peak hurricane season. Just a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of information. Uh, Jenny Stil- Stiletovich <laughs> is uh, WLRN's environmental reporter. Thank you so much. Are you going to stay, w- stay with me? I will me?
2: stay here, t- although after my last answer, I don't know if you
0: want me to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would love for your presence to just be with me. All right. <laughs> so to come, tomorrow marks five years since Hurricane Irma. What impact did the deadly hurricane have? 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. I'm Wilkin Brutus. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Saturday marks not only the peak of hurricane season, but also five years since Hurricane Irma made landfall. The Eye made landfall in Cujo, key as a 130 mph Category 4 storm. The center of Irma then made landfall in Marco Island as a Category 3 with 150 mph winds later that same day. According to the National Hurricane Center, Hurricane Irma ranks number six on the all time costliest hurricane list at fifty two point one billion dollars. This also mark this also makes it the costliest in state history, surpassing Hurricane Andrew. As five years have passed, what have we learned from Irma? What long-lasting impacts did it have on the Keys in South Florida? How did Irma affect you? Join us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Joining us now is Gwen Filosa. She covers Key West and the Lower Florida Keys for FloridaKeysNews.com and the Miami Herald. And Jenny Stiladovich. she's the environmental reporter for WLRN. Gwen and Jenny, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to hear you, uh, Gwyn. Uh, so let us stick with you. Uh, Key West was relatively unscathed, but the rest of the Keys weren't so fortunate. Take us through some of the damage Irma caused in the Keys after landfall.
3: Yes, uh, you're exactly right. Because the Keys is this 120-mile-long island chain, uh, even after hours after things were clear from the storm, you know, people were saying, oh. The keys didn't get anything because Key West was fine. But uh, you have this landfall made in Kujo Key. Um, These are the lower keys now, about 30 miles outside of Key West. You have significant dramatic damage. Um, The final count was about 4,000 homes. Uh, seriously affected or destroyed. About uh, 1,200 destroyed. And we have about 55,000 housing units here, but people were left homeless. Uh, it, it was it was devastating. And the city of Marathon and Big Pine Key were hit the
0: hardest. Hmm. And Big Pine Key suffered some of the worst property damage from the storm, as you just mentioned. Uh, what was the damage like then, and how is the community faring now?
3: Well, like in a lot of places in the Keys, You know, this is a tourism dependent community in in the Keys. A lot of people were already living in uh, trailers, mobile homes, Um, some people in substandard housing. You know, uh, it's tough down here to to make the rent. And so you already had some of these difficulties and homes uh, structures were just washed away. And vegetation everywhere boats you'd, you'd drive around and there'd be someone's boat just thrown off the side of the road or you know, dump stuff just dumped out it was um, it, it left people really scarred.
0: yeah and there, there was a record a record 6.5 million Floridians evacuated making it the largest evacuation in the state's history. Take us through the evacuation of the keys leading up to Irma.
3: Yes, I can actually uh, give you a firsthand account. I was one of those people. I took my dog and my friend's dog and my friend and we hit the road and uh, it was a ghost town driving up. Uh, we, We were okay until we get to the turnpike. It's an absolute disaster. I, I mean, nobody likes to evacuate, but there was a toll booth station that it looked like something out of a movie, like a horror movie, like people just leaving there. Everybody, hundreds of cars trying to jam through like three lanes. And, um, but there were people that waited to the absolute last minute in Key West because it looks so bad. And then it turns into, you know, a friend of mine who went through it called it Escape Room Florida. You go to Tampa, you go to Orlando, you go everywhere you go, the storm looks like it's tracking you. So it was um, it was a long haul uh, to get to safe ground and then to uh, figure out how to get back.
0: Hmm. And and are there still cleaning uh, debris and are there any sort of removal projects still in place?
3: I mean, if you drive around, one thing that the Keys uh, had to get a lot of assistance from FEMA state reimbursement was uh, so much boats. They found cars. They found weird stuff in all the canals. Like they'd find the side of someone's house. And there are people like a motor. I watched them pull a motorcycle out. And some people here, locals were like, no, it's always there. I'm like, I don't think so. That was just That was a huge project Monroe County took on, and they they cleared out so much uh, stuff that was left. I mean, if you drive around even Big Pine Key, you'll you'll think, oh, well, this looks great. It's just when you get in those neighborhoods where where workers live and families, and there there are still people struggling.
0: And, of course, it's extremely difficult to just report this story and not feel personal about it because you also lived through it. Um, were, Were Key's residents in particular surprised by the intensity of Irma?
3: Uh, uh, yes uh, the thing is in the keys you know, we're already this fragile we're kind of out here <laughs> without, without really any real protection but it had been about 12 years since the florida keys had this significant hurricane uh and I it, it's almost like it irma made up for that i mean we had that horrible summer of 2005 with katrina i was in new orleans then so focused on that absolute disaster man-made and natural but uh people here were just like hey some close calls But um, yeah, I do remember at the last second, some of those uh, holdouts were like, I'm gonna hit the road. And again, Key West is unscathed. Of course there's some damage, but Big Pine, Kudjo, Marathon, parts of the Upper Keys just wiped, just got hit so hard. But yeah, I think a lot of people here, they don't wanna leave, they joke, oh, I'm I'm staying. But um, Irma was absolutely no joke and reminded a lot of us that we need to uh, be prepared and be ready.
0: Hmm. H- have um have any updates to evacuation plans in the face of storms uh, been made?
3: That's a great question because I did look into this months ago for a hurricane uh, prep story in Monroe County Emergency Management. They don't advertise. They don't want people staying if there's a mandatory evacuation. Obviously, they want people to go to the mainland uh, Miami-Dade County. There's a shelter there for Monroe, and there's a special needs shelter, too. People did try. Uh, people did write it out at the high schools. That's what they do in the Keys. They go to Marathon High School where somebody died. Uh, right. You know, the group of 50 people, someone died. These are bare bones. You will not. You have to bring stuff. You can't. They're just shelters of last resort. They, they'll, they could likely open them, but they really are publicly saying, you know, no, no, you need to get out. But uh, people that were left behind, either they chose, or they. A lot of people just can't go.
0: Um, that's a scary way to ride out a hurricane. And, and Jenny wants to join the so conversation here.
2: Yeah. So Gwen, I, I since you brought that up, uh, you know, years ago when I covered hurricanes down there, it seemed like that the people who were left behind were the ones who couldn't afford to get out. I mean, it seemed like this terrible, dark irony. And I wondered if that's changed at all. Has there been any effort to provide more ways out for people who don't have cars or, you know, rely on public transportation or, you know, just to, especially after Irma, um,
3: no that that's a great question jenny it's it's um there there monroe county the, the county government does provide bus services but here's the thing you can get a ride out do you have money for food do you have money i mean i you know i have friends who are pretty well off who are like wow this is really cutting into my um income and my savings and it's can you afford do you know anyone outside of the keys do you, do you have any place to to stay um other than your car or a a shelter so you know the ride is one thing and they do provide bus service but it's if you don't you know if you run out of time luck or or you just don't have the money a lot a lot of times it's not a choice
2: right where do you stay once you get out
3: Hmm. and have for how long what if you're gone for you know we reopen october 1st the keys but there were people very angry they couldn't immediately come back and they just couldn't until you know 42 bridges on us-1 are
0: inspected wow 42 bridges Ooh. um i guess this question can go for 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 the both of you is the corps of engineers focus at all on the keys
2: they, they, they've done some work down there. I mean, Glenn's probably noticed this. There's big boulders where they've they've sort of fortified yes. some of the some of the roads. They don't have a plan like they have in Miami-Dade County because just the geography is different. I mean, the plan for the Keys is when there's a storm surge, get out, you know.
0: And and how about in regards to sheltering on the Keys and mainland? Um, um, is it still difficult for, for that aspect of it? Do you mean uh, finding a place to stay? Yeah, or? finding a place to stay for sure.
3: Yeah, I mean, the shelters will open. The the county, I mean, people really need to pay attention. Those locations could change. They've always been the same. But um, you, you've got, a and there's signs on the road. This is where Monroe residents, or this is a shelter. Uh, yeah, yeah the, there's spaces space there. But like we were, what Jenny was mentioning, it's just, where do you stay? I mean, even I was with people and we were just, we were very lucky we, we could afford hotel rooms, but we ended up in Athens, Tennessee. I don't even remember where that is because we just kept, kept moving for shelter for a hotel room. And, and uh, even for people with means, it, it, it was a very stressful.
0: I'm Wilkin Brutus. This is a South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm speaking to reporters, Gwen Felosa and Jenny Stilatovich about the impact of hurricane Irma five years after the deadly storm made landfall. Um, Jenny, were there any long-term environmental impact or damage to the keys after Irma?
2: There were some islands down there, um, Sugarloaf, where where. A lot of mangroves were killed, and they did not rebound as quickly as scientists thought. And they're still trying to kind of figure out, like, why Why didn't they, I mean, mangroves grow in a hurricane-rich environment. So what happened? The other thing they had was because the storm surge was so big across the Lower Keys, um, there were areas where uh, freshwater holes, or something called the Blue Hole, two years later still had elevated levels of salinity. Um, some of these places, especially Big Pine, endangered key deer use these natural solution holes f- to get their fresh water. Um, when you have storm surge wash across like that, those get salty and there's no water for the deer.
0: Hmm. And has there been any, uh, I guess, a reassessment of evacuation procedures since then?
2: Well, so I asked the state this not so long ago when I was working on a storm surge project um, with the National Hurricane Center, and they update evacuation clearance rates every five years. They go in, they do this big model that includes factoring in people's behavior, the time, the changes in traffic patterns and road capacity, things like that. Um, And so, you know... they 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 gauge evacuation times based on clearance rates, and they do it every five years for different parts of the county. Um, I asked because I wondered if they were factoring in sea rise and how far into the future they were looking. But because they do them every five years, um, they don't really. They just update it every every five years. Um, and you know, as storm surge rises, those inland evacuations uh, mean that that. More people are going to be on the road for longer
0: hmm. and, and And Gwen, um and I guess you both can answer this as well. of course you're you're not just reporting. you you live through it. Describe some of the challenges you faced during Hurricane Irma.
3: Well, I, for one, I do live in Key West proper. I do somehow afforded to live there for as a reporter for eleven years, and uh, I've always prepared. Again, I did. I'm not bragging at all. Trust me, I would take that week back for anything. I, I did write out Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And talk about not being prepared because the levee failure made that the true disaster. But down here, I you know, there were other people from the Miami Herald. A lot of reporters were at this place downtown. I could have gone, but my dog is terrified of water. And I just said, I'll hit the road. And um, it, that ride, once you hit the turnpike, I just couldn't. It, it was just like the, the worrying about gas. I mean, every time you went to a gas pump, you're like, will there be gas? They had to have like people out there uh, directing traffic. And uh, at one point, my friend and I, we just pulled over somewhere and slept sitting up, which I'm good at being a reporter. But again, the money just flies out of your hands. So you're like, mm. it's just I got to get caught. Co- I got to get a, a bagel. And you're like, every everything is just falling. It, it's like being on the world's worst vacation, you know, because you, you're forced to be there. And, and the stress worrying about your friends. We all knew someone that was like, you know, I'm going to stay. And um, you know, Kajokey—that was just. Those were some scary hours waiting. Um, I have friends who who will say, "No, no, no! Hurricane hit or, her, Irma. Hurricane Irma hit the 10th and 11th." Mm-hmm. I was like, "No, it's the 10th." But their experience was that was how long it was.
0: Wow. And and I think that's a good segue into pets. Um, how are people handling, or how did people handle their pets during that time period?
3: Well, I'll tell you, that is such a
0: great question and
3: something that people don't always think about. You know, some people will leave their pet behind, not because they're bad pet people. They just think, well, I'll be back. I'll be back in a few days. It's a cat. You know, they'll be fine. Um, Sorry, cat people. I mean, or, you know, I'll I'll leave some food. I'll leave food behind. And that was a nightmare in Katrina in New Orleans because everyone got shut out, forced out, thrown on planes, not knowing where they were going. Animals died or or they were. Then animal rights people came and took everyone's dog. It was weird. Uh, But, but it just becomes this, you know, no one means to leave them behind, but you think, well, I'll be back in a day or, or I'll leave some food or, and and if you're, you know, there is abject poverty in the Florida Keys and, and, you know, some people just don't have the means to, not every shelter will take pets. You have to double check that. And that can get really complicated, stressful um, for a lot of reasons, but it's, uh, you know, I remember um, getting made fun of by a CNN reporter when I evacuated, but I have my dog and I'm not going to, I was lucky enough to be able to take him, but I'm not, uh, maybe he wasn't making fun. I think he was, uh, <laughs> I just decided to, um, take him and I, I just couldn't leave him. I was like, if anything happens, this dog, because I'm like, Hey, I'm a hardcore reporter. I'll never <laughs> able to Um, and, and in the end, you know, most people that I know did okay with their pets and, and he, I did try to send him with people and they were like, no way. fallen falling for that. But yeah, it is a very financially and, and just, you know that that uh, i know what it feels like to be like i'll be back in two days and you could end up not
0: in you know, two months now, now jenny yeah, everyone project. in the newsroom knows how many pets you have like you have a lot <laughs> i know i talk <laughs> about my pets a lot <laughs> they, they are i call them little humans at this point <laughs> um which they essentially are they're, they're like little babies you know um yeah what, what's your mind state what was your mind state during hurricane irma uh, with all of your pets
2: well so i was working sort of covering the hurricane for the Herald, um, literally covering the updates, the four-hour. Um, so I was glued to a computer screen, banging out updates, and, and really watched that hurricane through <laughs> hurricane center track maps, uh, satellite imagery. I have compl- I, I, had no idea what it looked like outside, <laughs> but I did know what it looked like from space. Um, so, I mean, my family, I have my husband and our three kids, uh, you know, we've never evacuated before, but that storm was so big. Um, it covered – three days out, we still didn't know which coast it was going to hit. That's a pretty close call. And because it was so big, even if it hit one coast, the impacts were going to be felt on the on the other coast. So when it went west, we knew we'd still have problems east. So, so my husband, you know, took the kids. We found an extended stay hotel near the newsroom, near the Herald newsroom. Took the dog um, – we took the turtle, <laughs> and uh, I didn't see him until a day after the storm. Though you know, I was in in communication with him, and I feel bad because he literally had to. He and the kids had to pack up the house and move all my zillion plants inside a bathroom, which right. was, he still hasn't forgiven me for.
0: <laughs> now, now, for some reason, I'm I'm, I'm stuck on the animals right now. Um, is there a particular behavior that occurs? Once a hurricane is approaching, that you sense from your pets?
2: Uh, I know my dog doesn't like thunder. I don't know about Gwen, but i if there's thunder, the dog freaks out.
3: Hmm. He's a disaster. <laughs> He's beside himself. With
2: him. The tortoise seems to do pretty well in any kind of weather. <laughs> They're tougher. They're
0: yes. tougher, right? Or
3: aloof. <laughs> yes, they are aloof. <laughs>
0: I, I want to segue to more logistical uh, uh issues that occurs during hurricanes now gas stations um headlines stretching for miles um has anyone been talking about the challenge challenges faced um by electric vehicles uh, which are gaining so much popularity right now?
2: Oh, I'd say if you have an electric vehicle, you better have a generator. <laughs> mean, that will be an issue. I mean, the charging stations, I assume that where there are charging stations, and especially in critical hospitals, critical areas, that there are generators that provide uh, power. I know that in California recently, when there were power surges because of the heat and the brownouts and stuff, they were telling people don't drive, they're asking them not to drive. Uh, But I, uh, you know, that's something I haven't looked into.
0: Hmm. Is there anything the state or the region should focus on or should have learned from Irma? And any other things people should always keep in mind with hurricane preparation? I guess that's a question for both of you.
2: Well, the thing I learned is... um you know, the most important thing you can have is an evacuation plan and and really think it out so that you're not caught at the last minute calling people saying, can I come stay with you? I mean, you need to, if it's friends or family, um, just try and have an idea to go, because like Glenn, Gwen's experience, what part of Tennessee did you end up in?
3: <laughs> we don't know. There were caves. <laughs> Yes, it, it, Jenny's absolutely right. There, and I'm not great at planning anything. It's not my, uh, as far as, you know, I'm just like, I'll stay in the keys. I don't like to drive, but planning, saving some money, getting all that stuff ahead of time. I mean, you know, I do it too. You race to Publix at the last minute and then everyone's complaining that Publix is out of things. And then some of my friends are like, well, you've known about this for a year. But uh, it, it preparation, planning, saving, ma- I've made many more friends Outside of Florida, my friend.
2: <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it is It is in the thick of it. When it's there, you realize like, man, a good plan would have really saved me a lot oh, of activation. So many, things,
3: right. so many things could make it more comfortable. I, I do the food thing and then I'm just eating peanut butter, which I do anyway. <laughs> planning and saving and, and and having backup plans for in case, you know, just it, it's it's a
0: lot. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's one thing to say plan. Uh, so, for example, in terms of food, uh, is there any particular types of food that you and Gwen?
2: Uh, Ugh. I, I remember Wilma. We were without power for t- two weeks and feeding three kids out of a cooler and pets. And pets. <laughs> <laughs> well, the kids had a little more priority, but uh, <laughs> they were fussier. But um, but but you know, after that, we got a generator. I'm terrified of generators, but we like broke down and and got one. So I would say like your original question was food wise, um, you know, it's going to be bad. You're not going to have good food. It's going to be dry, uncooked. I mean, some people actually with generators had a whole grill feast going on, you know, for a while. We were not so lucky. (laughs)
3: No, I'm, I'm I'm batching it for hurricanes. Uh, peanut butter is my favorite thing, but it's also going to be hot and gross and no air conditioning. So I I have I'm not above drinking a can of soup.
0: Yeah, and, and I guess um you know a lot of folks have the luxury to be on dry land for hurricane hits, but what about if, if flooding overtakes your neighborhood um
2: well that's why they have evacuation plans because you should not i mean the hurricane center says this over and over again if you have flooding above a foot can be dangerous you know like so when it hits three feet that can you know move a car i mean they there are there are electrical issues flooding is very dangerous mm-hmm. um so they say evacuate you know, I know a lot of people don't if you're if you're stuck and, and there's water in your house.
0: Oof. Yeah, That, that can be tough. Another thing um, I, I vividly remember Hurricane Andrew and I remember a lot of hurricanes that actually caused flooding uh, in my neighborhood when I was young. And I also recall some of my friends I may have been involved too. Jenny and Gwen uh, <laughs> walking through the flood. Oh, man. <laughs> I could have been involved. I'm not, I'm, I'm not implicating myself here. I've, I do, I've done it too. I, neither.
3: <laughs> I do not know what's in that water. My friend it, it nails, stuff like that. But the, what, what Jenny was saying too is um, you don't want to lose your car and that can, I, I will try to park it up on higher land or, but you know, you, if you, if there, it was a parking garage, you know, if you're in a different, not in the case, but anyway, but the walking through it, I've canoed through it. It, you just don't know what's in there it it just is uh septic uh, tanks everywhere Although the, the keys oh, luckily has up i wasn't going to bring it up, it. Bring it up. <laughs> but you're you're talking about a, a power wash of everything gross yeah. in uh, as a pool so very careful but um sometimes you got to do what you got to do but that salt water will eat your car it'll eat all your stuff and it, again it just becomes this um, uh, financial you know, burden, but I, I will, I usually put my car up on the sidewalk in my Key West neighborhood and my landlords laugh,
0: hmm. but uh, gotta do your best. We, we can end this by saying, if you can, do not walk through the flood, <laughs> okay? Oh, <laughs> if you, you don't, can. everyone. You, <laughs> could, you
3: could just step on a nail or hmm. some kind of spike and, you know. I'm a very lucky person, very lucky, dumb person.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much for both of your, 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 your kind analysis on everything. Gwen Filosa covers Key West and the Lower Florida Keys for floridakeysnews.com and the Miami Herald. And Jenny Stilatovich is the environmental reporter for WLRN. Thank you, beautiful people.
2: Thank you, Wilkin. Thank you. Take care.
0: Still to come, we discuss Miami-Dade County's new housing plans surrounding transit routes and why homeowners could be allowed to build efficiency apartments on their own properties. 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. i'm wilkin brutus welcome back to the south florida roundup on wlrn in miami-dade county new development plans could allow mid-rise buildings to be built near transit routes it's part of an ongoing effort to address rising housing prices and county commissioners may also allow homeowners to build efficiency apartments or granny flats on their properties what sort of impact will transit focused projects have in miami-dade What are your thoughts on granny flats exist on or are being built on existing properties? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Joining me to discuss the new development projects in Miami-Dade is Miami Herald reporter Doug Hanks. He covers county government. Doug, how are you? fine thanks thanks for having me absolutely now, now now Doug two ordinances aim to increase housing in miami-dade county as home prices continue to rise let's discuss a new zoning law that could allow homeowners to add small apartments in their backyard what what's the update on that proposed legislation
4: well it passed its first vote without controversy it's got the backing of the mayor it's got the backing of one of her FOES ON THE COUNTY COMMISSION regulado. SO THERE'S BROAD SUPPORT, AND TO A CERTAIN extent, IT WOULD LEGALIZE SOMETHING THAT'S ALREADY HAPPENING, WHICH IS PEOPLE CONVERTING PART OF THEIR HOUSE INTO A LITTLE APARTMENT IN THE GARAGE MAYBE THAT THEY'RE RENTING OUT, WHICH RIGHT NOW DOES NOT COMPLY WITH ZONING REGULATIONS. THIS WOULD AT LEAST GIVE THE POSSIBILITY IT WOULD COMPLY um, AND ALSO ALLOW PEOPLE WHO'VE BEEN THINKING ABOUT IT TO GO AHEAD AND HAVE A PATH TO DO IT LEGALLY.
0: Oh, so it's actually already happening. So in in other words, are 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 there any punishments for folks who are already doing it?
4: Yes. And you do read about crackdowns every once in a while they did in Hialeah. And yes, this is definitely happening. And for many people, it's affordable housing. Right. I mean, you'll have a single family house that might have three families living in it and they subdivide a room and that becomes an apartment. Maybe they're sharing a kitchen. people rent out rvs in their driveway which is illegal would remain illegal under this ordinance one thing to keep in mind this is just for areas outside of semi- city limits where the county has zoning jurisdiction
0: and, and these are referred to as efficiency apartments right
4: yeah you hear all sorts of different um terms and it's really two categories one is converting a part of your existing house into a separate home it would be an apartment um, a garage is what you hear about most often because that's kind of unused space that you could easily convert into something that would have a kitchen and a bathroom, and then it could be its own little efficiency apartment, which just means an apartment without a separate bedroom. Um, the other category is what I call a guest house, uh, a cottage, um, and that is something you would build in your backyard. That would be its own little teeny house.
0: And, and, and for folks who are already doing, I do wonder if they even know if it's illegal or not. You, you feel as though you own your own property. You may want to make a little bit of income, you know, uh, house a few folks who are looking or desperately, desperately looking for housing. And I tend to wonder if folks even know if it's illegal or not. Um, n- not. Not only is this a great opportunity for people to find a place to live, but it's also, again, an opportunity for homeowners to make a little more income. How many homes would be eligible for this zoning?
4: They think most if you live outside of city limits and what they call the what is called the unincorporated municipal services area, which a lot of people call UMSA, uh, you probably would be able to do it. Um, including build something in your backyard, which is probably the only prospect right now. You definitely could not, but this rule would treat a new house as if it was a gazebo shed, meaning you put it very close to your neighbor's fence um which could be great for that homeowner maybe not so great for the neighbor next expert doesn't want that but but this is what's what's probably coming and the other big concern of course is parking, because you probably will be doubling the parking demand on your
0: property now, now doug cities set their own regulations for homes does this proposal change that at all
4: And what's interesting is some cities already do this. Miami has a very similar rule in place. Um,
0: Doug Hanks is currently experiencing uh, technical difficulties right now. Uh, we are discussing new development plans I'm I'm back Oh you're back okay great <laughs> I'm back Do mm-hmm. you hear me Yes Yeah what did
4: you did you did you hear me say that Miami has a similar okay So Miami has a similar rule You can repeat
0: that sorry about that And
4: um the, Yeah okay so Miami already has very similar rules in place um, that obviously has not made a dent in their in that city's affordable housing uh problems so we should probably manage expectations on on the, what kind of solution this is, but it would be a major, major change in county zoning.
0: Yeah, and, and as a homeowner myself, I immediately think about parking. What sort of impact could the new law have on parking?
4: Well, it's, I think it would probably have a pretty significant impact because you're gonna be doubling your parking demand for your property, most likely to have another family living there. There are some rules in there. They're not super draconian. You have, if uh, there has to be, I think, one or two places to park uh, a car near your property somewhere, if there's not street parking available. So there, that's a consideration, but it's it's not draconian. Another thing is you can't, according to the rules, you can't use it for short-term rentals. It can't be Airbnb. Hmm.
0: And so there are particular laws regarding um, vacation rentals, in particular.
4: Hmm. Yes. Correct. Okay. Um. And so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm Wilkin Brutus. This is a South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm speaking with Miami Herald reporter Doug Hanks about the Miami-Dade County's housing development plans near transit routes and proposed granny flats on existing properties. Now, Doug, the Miami-Dade County Commissioner um, Oliver Gilbert proposed a rapid transit zoning law that would allow mid-rise housing to be built near public transit routes. What is this proposed zoning rule and how does it impact single family homes?
4: Okay, now this is this is more complicated. <laughs> uh, it has passed. It is it is now law. So let's so the the first one, the granny flats is the proposal that's moving along. This one actually passed and it was a huge huge fight. Now it did get watered down quite a bit which makes it harder to explain. Um, But the concept has survived intact, which is the county, which already uh, allows developers to build more if if it's near a transit route, wants to expand those rules into city limits, right? Where the city zoning rules apply, but the county can, if it wants to, change the law and and get right in the middle of it. Which they threatened to do. Cities flipped out. So Gilbert is the vice chairman of the board said, so All right, we won't impose the rules, but we're gonna give you two years. You could come up with your own rules to encourage more residential construction near.
0: You're you're breaking up there. More residential construction perhaps near transit routes. Are you still there, Doug? For those of you who are just joining us, um, Doug Hanks um, is from the Miami Herald. He covers. Yeah, I am here. OK, you're back. <laughs> we we actually yeah, I don't have... know what's going on. At, yeah, you were breaking up. Line.
4: I guess it's it's horrible uh, cell reception. Yeah, so it's, sorry it's breaking
0: that. up a lot. No worries. We're actually out of time, Doug. Um, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. Doug Hanks covers the government for Miami Herald. Doug, thank you so much for your time and uh, continue, continue to continue the great work. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, that would do it for the South Florida Roundup. It's produced by Natu Twe. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Our interim managing editor is Katie Munoz. Jessica Bakeman is the senior editor of news. Matu Sanchez. Sanchez is digital editor. WLRN's vice president of radio and the show's technical supervisor is Peter J. Mayers. Richard Ives answers phones. I'm Wilkin Brutus. Thanks for calling and listening. And remember, stay hydrated.
4: WLRN Public Media.